It's Friday the 2nd of December. This is the Climate Alarm Clock. This week's headlines, Citizens' Assembly on Biodiversity makes radical recommendations, and it turns out there's a lot more going on in nature than we knew. ESRI study finds that young people want radical climate action. Hello and welcome to the Climate Alarm Clock, your weekly Irish climate news podcast. I'm Dara Wynn and thankfully we're moving away from our COP discussion this week and we're going to be talking about, I think for the most part, some pretty positive climate stories. I'm joined today as always by Anna Pringle. Anna, how are you keeping? Hi Dara, I can't believe it's December. I know. I know. Um, and delighted that Kira Daly is back with us this week as well. Kira, how are you? Woo-hoo. Oh, hey, feeling ready to talk about the climate. And we are <laughs> thrilled today to be joined by author, comedian, broadcaster, rubbish picker, um, and lots of other things, Cullum O'Regan. Uh, Cullum's latest book is called Climate Warrior, A Hypocrite's Guide to Saving the Planet, where he discusses his own climate action journey and gives people some ideas of what they can do themselves. Cullum, welcome back to the Climate Alarm Clock. Great to be back. I think the last time, or indeed the first time I was on the podcast, I was probably talking about the book in the in the abstract sense and maybe like a comedy show. So it's just really nice to have this tangible albeit made of paper, presumably from sustainably grown forests. I haven't checked uh, <laughs> actual book. So yeah, you, you've been with me on my book journey. Yeah. And uh, and the book, I've had a read of the book and it is uh, great. I think wherever people are on the climate journey, there's loads of things to identify with. There's loads of uh, laugh out loud moments and also a few bits that I would really disagree with. And then you kind of other side <laughs> it and I'm like, okay, um <laughs> you're just being considerate of all people i guess that's all right um yeah. which is which is lovely um so Cullum, i suppose before we get into our news roundup we're trying to ask all our guests a little bit about their own climate journeys and this is something you maybe would have mentioned um in our last chat but you know getting involved in climate action was was it a sort of gradual experience for you or was there a big moment where you decided right this is something for me to to get on board with? I think in economists speak, my journey has been lumpy and uh, <laughs> it kind of ranged, it changed over time. I remember in the 80s being hugely, so, you know, the awakenings, like Chernobyl was an environmental thing. I was eight when Chernobyl happened. So you become aware of bad things that can happen. I remember the the phrase acid rain seeping through. So as far as I was concerned, growing up as a child, you had... Chernobyl was a problem, acid rain was a thing, animals, you know, bad guys chasing animals was a thing, the Amazon rainforest disappearing, you know, the 1987 Time magazine cover, I think, Endangered Earth, the one with the globe covered in chains, quite a iconic thing, uh, whole of the ozone layer, all kind of possibly discrete, you know, individual things that you could fix or solve or deal with or worry about in isolation. And then maybe a bit about polar polar ice caps melting, you know, late 80s, early 90s. Awareness of it. Um, small, you know, a young child with the news. Uh, and uh, so it's very like if you talk to me at age 12, I was worried about the forests or, you know, that kind of thing. And yeah, and I think probably having, you know, uh, having seen the Chernobyl thing and and 
you know gotten through that the ozone layer was fixed you kind of assume yeah. people people have someone has it under control yes um, exactly. was there yeah. uh was there for you uh oh they this isn't under control was there a, a realization of that for you Probably just a creeping consumption of news then through the the twenty tens and and it sounds cliched but definitely children having children does make a difference because you think about you you naturally start to project forward once you get out once you get out of like infanthood and the right they're still there right so let's start thinking about the rest of their lives kind of thing <laughs> and then um, you get to their mid 20s and they're yeah, still there they're still there yeah <laughs> or if um, you're my mum and dad she's still here yeah, she's still here yeah <laughs> or well, ours gonna move out at 18 they're gonna have to send them off to Ara- four, four years erasmus um, but uh it started the idea of thinking projecting forward into what kind of like the concept that they're experience would be possibly a, a worse planet or a tougher a tougher life than I had which is not the run of things and a creeping realization that this might be the first set of generations where they will have it tougher and not just in, like before that used to be in the abstract sense of the national debt our grandchildren will have to bear mm, yeah, yeah, is yeah. x and you were like fine that'll knock a few corners off them nothing like a bit of debt to put a stop to your gallop but quality of air or water yeah. or the weather yeah, as a yeah, thing yeah. that they'll have to endure. Or availability of food. Availability of yeah. food or um, strife and all this kind of thing. So so there's a bit of that. And then maybe crystallise a little bit at the climate march in 2019, September 2019, where we went in. Sort of, you know, I'd, I'd say if maybe for a lot of people like me, going into that climate march as a... You've sort of felt drawn osmotically to it because a lot of other people were going and the sense that we can't have teenagers doing our protesting for us that's ridiculous yeah. like the people who should have uh, you know they should be idealistic but also they should be thinking about drinking cans in a graveyard like that's what that's what you should have like children should that's have our culture yeah children should have angst teenagers should have angst that's essential mm. part of teenagerhood but it should be about my life is over and nobody understands me, not... Metaphorically, not Yeah, literally. you know, like, yeah. it should be, it should... I can't wait to go to college. Everybody in my class is a moron and my parents are <laughs> stupid. Like, yeah. that's the angst you should have. The angst as you... As one... Le- as you've grown in such a weird way that none of your limbs match each other, you know, and your skin is erupting. That's the angst, not... Yeah. Not fundamental, existential, planetary one. So, a sense of... And also, like, you're at what age do you start actually being an adult? You know, forty something. You're kind of going. The grown ups will sort this. I'm fucking grown up now. Like yeah, literally, yeah, yeah. age age forty and upwards have all, you know, most of them have their most of them slash us have houses. Yeah. You know, rel- are not wasting. Are we wasting our time standing on the side of a GA pitch? But we're not wasting our time worrying about. Um, you know, most of her, most have relationships sort of sorted, and yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, roughly enough income to deal with the basic needs. So, who else is gonna do it? Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And so, Colm, then the other question we're asking all our guests, and I'd be interested because you obviously have been aware of environmental stuff before climate stuff in some sense. Is there a particular term that you use to describe all this? Do you call it climate change or the environmental crisis? Or is there any particular term that you use and why? I don't know. I mean, it starts to 
de devolve into like the the whole climate thing, um, because you're you're constant. I'm constantly like checking myself for. I know I'm on the name of the podcast is the climate alarm, but alarmism as like you only get a couple of shots at alarmism, you know. That's kind of like uh, if I'm doing a a gig where the crowd is noisy, I only get a couple of shots at telling them to shush because then it becomes like teacher student relationship, yeah, yeah. you know. So, so I don't use the word crisis that much, you know. It's more because it's too. You can't have you, there is permanent crisis, but people can't exist in a state of permanent yeah. crisis because they people exist in like lots of different levels of what their current issue is. So, I mean, the problem is the word climate is like I've put it on my book, and that's We've not going to help the sales. Too, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's not good. But I think it because it kind of, you'd want it to become like IT the way IT used to be computers and a department. <laughs> And eventually the word climate has to be yeah. part of the lexicon and it can't switch people off. You know, there's, the yeah, world yeah. is full of people who said, oh, I'm sick of hearing about IT. And now they've all got children working in IT, you know. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. it's it's definitely emphasizing the climate. Um, and maybe it's the climate thing. The cri- Again, as I say, crisis sometimes, but the climate thing, I think. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that climate Great. thing. Um, And that kind of brings us to our first news story because encompassed in the climate thing is biodiversity. And we had some, uh, I think, largely positive news on the biodiversity front this year with kind of the conclusion of the Biodiversity Assembly. It officially finished on Sunday, but they didn't get to vote on all the recommendations. So they'll be reconvening in the new year. But they did make some of their sort of headline recommendations And the key recommendation that came out of it or the headline story is that 83% are in favour of a referendum on nature in the constitution. So to enshrine Irish people's rights to a healthy environment, first of all, but then also to actually give rights to nature, which will be a fundamental shift in the way we deal and treat nature in the country. So... um, We'll get into explaining what a biodiversity or what the Citizens' Assembly is in a little minute, but any, Anna or Kira or Cullum, any sort of initial reactions to that um, headline recommendation? Well, I mean, my initial reaction to it was the same as my reaction to previous Citizens' Assemblies, which is to think that the citizens of Ireland are amazing when they are presented with information and have yeah. time to think about it and discuss it in a in a deliberate, thoughtful way, they always come out with the right answers, which I think is amazing. Or maybe it's just because I agree with them, but but I just do think that the process tends to generate some really um, hopeful results. Yeah, I would totally agree with Anna on that one for once. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, it's really, really nice to hear people, you know, because the Citizens' Assembly is made up of everyday people like all of us it's not people who know all the facts or have like leaning one way or the other so it just kind of fills you with a little bit of hope and optimism something we don't get a lot of in this podcast (laughs) yeah so yeah so i suppose to say what the citizens assembly is it's citizens assembly it's ireland are kind of one of the world leaders on this it's where a hundred people are randomly selected to represent the population of Ireland. So it's it's sort of, uh, what's the word? It's sort of stratified sampling so that 
people come from every county. It's a balance of ages and genders and socioeconomic class. Um, they pick contra- or they pick difficult issues to deal with and then get to meet and hear from loads of experts about the topic and then make recommendations that are presented to the government. So in the past, uh, there was a referendum or there was a citizens' assembly on the Eighth Amendment, which sort of was a part of what led to the referendum on the Eighth Amendment. There was an assembly on climate change back in 2017, and the recommendations there were radical. So it's this really lovely part of... It's sort of democracy sort of shows what democracy could be almost. It's a real it's it's a great process. And as I said, the, the recommendations coming out of this are are really positive and really radical. So yeah, uh that's a little summary of what Citizens Assembly do. I think what's brilliant about it is is it's it's necessary for something like this for a hundred people in a room, which in theory sounds chaotic, like a hundred person meeting. But obviously what it is, it's kind of organized chaos or an organized dynamic conversation uh, because everything is so complex. And I always, for me, if we learn one lesson per, per month or whatever about all of this is to just be comfortable with complexity Mm. of, of everything. Like we, you know, um, I could give you a small example. Like I follow somebody on Twitter who's like knows stuff about soil and he's talking about like, cause I feel good about composting and all that kind of thing. And he's talking about like, you bring, you know, when you bring in tea leaves into compost and it's like, it bears no resemblance to the soil on your allotment and the microbes that are there and the microbes you are bringing in just simply won't survive and all this kind of thing. And I don't, I don't mind an older version of me would just go off oh, for f- like, <laughs> F the compost yeah. anyway, I'm just going to throw everything into the black bin. But just being okay with nuance and complexity and a little bit of disappointment when you're wrong and get over that. Because what we have in Parliament, in the Dáil, is people protecting their positions because mm. if they're perceived to be wrong, it allows a chink in the armour. And I haven't been at a citizens' assembly, but the simple fact that there's no splits or walkouts yeah. doesn't mean that it's groupthink. It just means that it, it would appear that people seem to be roughly okay with complexity and nuance. And even if and even if no referendum came out of it, the idea that people were reading about what they were looking for and enshrining the rights of nature <laughs> and na- like giving nature rights. It's so fundamental. It's so fundamentally obvious, but also so fundamentally nobody's really does much thinking about it, which is weird because we give companies rights. Yeah, they don't exist. Yeah. Like yeah, they're yeah, not. Yeah. They're not a thing. Yeah. They're yeah. social it's entities. It's literally yeah. a PO yeah. box in the in the IFSC, yeah. but not giving the air that we breathe or the water rights. And like I feel like a Rubicon will be crossed where people stop going. Oh, oh tree huggers. The very yeah. fact that this gets. That even if it's not enshrined in the constitution, but that the idea of nature as having rights is enshrined in the vernacular, yeah, and in the top. I mean, that's quite radical. It's. I mean, yeah. In unfortunately, in Ireland, that is quite radical um, because it's not something that we have a consciousness of, and I, you know, a part of me did look at that and go. And you can call me cynical, but I said, "Oh, I bet the IFA are already um, are already getting their talking points together about this one because they will see it as a threat to farming." Mm. Um, 
Yeah, I think there's loads that's been <laughs> loads that's been touched on there that I now want to talk about. First of all, <laughs> I think the thing you said, Colm, about acknowledging the complexity um, and being aware of being on a journey, and that was one thing that I really liked uh, in in your book is that you know it's quite clear that you get a lot out of your own climate journey. And I think that's something that yeah. everyone that's involved in it, you do. It's not this thing that, oh, I have to do this. It's yeah. it's something that I want to do. And I think that's something really good to get uh, to get across. And, and we're always looking for transformation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it's, yeah. this stuff isn't transformative. Like, you see this thing, this book will change your life. Really? <laughs> How the heck could one, like, like, you need to read more than one book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, if this book changes your life, then it's a cult. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But then the, but yeah, but then the other thing that you said there was about, you know, how, how, the Citizens' Assembly being this open thing where people make it, discuss, discuss it and are open to change and the contrast to that in the doll. And that kind of really resonates with one of the recommendations that the, that came, or one of the recommendations that the Assembly agreed to, which was that the Assembly believes that the state has comprehensively failed to adequately fund, implement and enforce existing national legislation, national policies, EU biodiversity-related laws and directives related to biodiversity. This must change. And it's great to hear that, but also why did it take getting those hundred people in a room for this to come out? You know, why why have those politicians in the doll been allowed to deflect why you know why have you know why have people been able to say oh that's not black and white you know we're not you know um so it's brilliant that this has come out of the citizens assembly but also you know i think it makes me quite sad that it took a citizens assembly to you know for me to now have something to point to say yeah look they have failed they are they are failing and uh, yeah um I think that's a positive and a negative of of the of the <laughs> of the whole thing. Well, I think it's a lovely reminder that when you just get people in a room and they have a space to have a conversation, we don't all have to be combative and you actually can have your faith restored in humanity. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um and yeah, and so I I suppose then sort of the in terms of Actually, two little things in terms of sort of where where this assembly came from. You can actually trace it all the way back to the to the to the school strikes, um, and the Extinction Rebellion strikes in March 2019 when they started. So I think the really big ones were in September, but in March that's when sort of Greta was first. Uh, Greta was on the scene a few months. There was protests in Ireland. In May 2019, Ireland declared a climate and biodiversity emergency in the Dáil which was just them kind of saying, yeah, it's an emergency. Didn't really do anything. They did that. We're but, done. But at, the <laughs> same an emergency. Time, but at the same time, they passed the Joint Oireachtas Committee um, report on climate and they promised to set up a Citizens' Assembly on Biodiversity. That was in May 2019. Fast forward to the Assembly. They've made this recommendation and we now might get constitutional change on nature. And you can trace that all the way back to those young people um, and an activist out on the street. And I think that is a lovely little, a lovely little mm. thing to, to take from it all. How can we keep an eye on whether that change is going to come or that legislation is going to come? So then I think that's the other really nice thing is that now there's this lovely 
a lovely thing that you can contact your politicians about and say, look, these hundred people heard from experts. This is what they want. They said it's urgent. What what are you going to do about it? So it's now, it's now. I think as you kind of say, Colin, it's now this great talking point. It's this thing that's out in the open we can all talk about. But it's also for people who are in that kind of activist um, state of mind, it is now something to get behind and push for and advocate for. And I think that is really exciting yeah but the uh can i ask a question about uh, it's really valuable that you talk about the look back and trace the genesis of a moment right and uh you go back to earlier climate strikes and promises and that kind of thing and that's that process is probably will be three years say and it's you know three years is a long time and how much we have left and all that but if if we in 2019 said we have X amount of years left, we don't have time for a iterative process to do this, then we'd probably end up with, we need to do something now and then nothing will be done in the 2019 now and we'd mm. be here, still nothing done. What, I guess what I'm saying is that one of, the, one of the problems I think for people's engagement is the idea that we have eight years left to do something and people are going, well, that doesn't sound like enough time, so I'll probably just go do nothing. Yeah. Whereas yeah. this stuff takes time. And starting and, and something today, yeah, I think I think what you're saying is that if you start something today that might not come to fruition for five years or ten yeah. years, it's still worth starting still it. better. Yeah, we're not going off a cliff in 2030. There'll exactly. be lots of planet left yeah. Yeah. To, yeah, do, yeah. to do things with. And, and I, I just... W- I know it was necessary to give us the wake up call to give us those deadlines, but I I did I did find it demotiv I did not find eight year deadlines motivating, if you know what I mean. I yeah. find uh, I'm sorry I'm not I'm not criticizing I'm just saying I, it's just something we need to acknowledge that there's there's two tracks of time there's like fucking do something now and then there's well we need to get a thing up and running and before we can do that we need the heads of the bill published and all yeah. you know Slow and it has to be done process. it has to be done right yeah. so it can't be challenged in the supreme court by some lula who's in theory acting the maggot but in a way their challenge will do us a favor in 2040 to prevent against some other fascism yeah, yeah. do you know what i mean yeah, like, but so you, and I, to I your point to your point sorry dar to your point earlier column you know we need people who can write emails and do different things we need people who can do the nitty gritty writing yeah. laws and policy yeah. which is not something that comes natural to all of us certainly mm. not to me yeah and thinking through that detail and that is a slower process and mm-hmm. but you need but we, then we also still need the people who are willing to like the just stop oil activists yeah who are willing to like keep pushing and pushing for immediate action so yeah. i think it has I, to happen at all levels of society yeah yeah i agree anna that we need we need everyone doing everything and we we need the people doing the stuff slowly but we do need people bringing the urgency trying to get our governments and organizations to treat it like an emergency because we saw with covid when things are treated as an emergency we can actually Mm. get much much faster change so we do need that and i think what we really need is to not have the infighting 
is to not because yeah. that happens so much oh especially look at the green party they're going too slow they're not doing this they're not doing that and it's like yeah they're not maybe doing as much as they should do as fast as they did but Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael and Sinn Féin are doing nothing so can we all be angry yeah. with them together <laughs> instead of like giving out about the pace yeah. that all the people who actually care are going at and I think that's the big thing is that you know if you're uh, I'm going to go slowly look at the people going fast and say you know they're right maybe I do need to figure out who how fast yeah. I can go and if you're one of the people going fast look at the people who are actually doing stuff and saying well you know if if I don't end up overthrowing society and, and turning the whole world into a socialist uh utopia then at least these people are taking little steps along the way yeah. and I think there's a lot of people there's a lot of people sitting on the couch complaining that their dinner is late and not helping the person <laughs> yeah. making the dinner exactly uh, yeah yeah yes. um but I think uh, yeah. just before we leave the biodiversity, um, there was a lovely story this week about scientists who are science that is making it possible to hear nature. And it turns out that they've got these new and I know our um, Rob, our sound engineer, would love this story because there's new digital microphones that they've placed them all over Earth and even oh, in the wow. ocean and whatever. And what they're finding is that there is a lot of what they're saying. Non-humans are in continuous conversation and which we can't hear with our naked ear. And it's just such an amazing story. And so they're finding that just the level of communication between different species and among species is way more than we had ever known before. So there's just all this talking going on around mm -hmm. us. And so it's, the, you know, and that's biodiversity at its core really um yeah and yeah and i think anna that like it is one thing in in trying to tackle all this stuff is that nature is amazing like nature mm. is absolutely amazing and it, yep. but it, it can bring you so much joy it can bring you such a sense of belonging and peace and while we know that in 50 years time the climate is going to be in a worse state no matter what we do uh because of locked in warming and stuff biodiversity in Ireland could actually be in a better place in yeah, 10 absolutely. years time or 20 years time yeah. or 30 years time and so that's really lovely that you but know it's also though it just shows you we just I mean come back again to the word complexity we just don't understand the complexity mm. of the biosphere mm. and the planet that we've got around us and like so one lovely example from this research was sea turtles you know the way turtles they lay their eggs on the beach and they go off and the eggs hatch and uh, you know, try to make it to the sea. It turns out that the mother turtle hangs out nearby emitting sounds to attract the um, the Aww. baby turtles. And the baby turtles are making sounds from within the eggs. Wow. So that they, you know, they, it's not a coincidence that they all hatch at the same time. They're talking to each other. Yeah. Wow. And the man is there going, come go. on. What? Is there anywhere we can go and listen to these sounds? Anna? I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I don't if, know how how they are translated. New segment on the yeah. climate alarm clock. That's a really great the inside of a That's a great idea. Wouldn't guess, you love guess, to? Guess the animal um, and uh, have a little prize. Um, <laughs> yeah. The prize is a turtle. No, the prize isn't a turtle. No, it's not a pet turtle. You can bring home your own sea turtle. <laughs> if you guess what the animal is, you get it. Um, and it's not just uh, animals, uh, it's plants as well. Yeah, so, um, yeah. I find the one thing that's hopefully changed for the better is people's expectation of what nature is and how the smallest, tiniest, ugliest, in inverted commas, are what looks like, like you know, because we just... You know, it's not all cheetahs, crocodiles yep. and water buffalo in some sort of Royal, royal Rumble <laughs> in the Serengeti. It's like, you know, there's a joy in. And I know 
I know I've got a smartphone and a lithium mind somewhere and all that, but I love just recent, in the last couple of years, looking at plants and getting the names of them. That sense of, mm. and it's not mastery, but a sense of connection with plants or insects or, you know, a little bird song app. Yeah. And I've only found bloody, spa- it's all the sparrows, like, <laughs> or starlings, but still, yeah. you know, there were, they used to be birds. Yeah. And now they have birds with names, or they used to be weeds, yeah. and now they're weeds with names, and... Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, we could chat. We could chat about uh, birds chat about all birds. day. Dara's favorite topic. <laughs> yeah, but we yeah. will move on instead to young people, and I think this is once again a good news story. An ESRI report that came out on young people's attitudes to climate. Anna. Yeah, and kind of to actually following on from what we were just talking about. Um, it turns out that young people are more focused on the environment, and you know they they do want to be. behave in a way that's pro-environment now the interesting thing about this is while there is a lot of positive attitudes in some cases the the knowledge doesn't go with it so for example 92% of young people recycle and they see that as really beneficial for the environment and but unfortunately they think that's one of the highest impact behaviors that they can engage in um but, you know, as well, two-thirds use think public transport is important. Um, half of young people say that they primarily travel by public transport or active travel. Interestingly, and not surprisingly, um, especially if you're in Dublin, men or males are 75% more likely to cycle or walk than females. Oh. Yeah. Um, but that's not surprising at all. Um and people living in urban areas are twice as likely to use public transport or cycle or walk. Again, not surprising because you'll hear rural Ireland saying we don't have public transport. Um, but so there's a lot of really good points that are coming out from yeah, this. Yeah, loads, um, loads to pick out. Loads yeah. to tease out there, yeah. One one there that I see that you've posted in, Anna, is all 48% of those who currently eat meat intend to eat less in the short-term future. Yeah. Uh, with almost 30% planning to eat a plant-based diet in the long term. Um which uh, you know, that's that's you wouldn't you wouldn't get that from the general discourse that goes on around diet in Ireland. You know that's am- no, that's amazing. No, you wouldn't. But at the same time, only one in three recognise that eating a plant based diet is a high impact behaviour. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. Which, as you say, it comes down to the down to the the knowledge. Yeah, yeah, and like less than half are aware that avoiding long haul flights is a high impact behaviour. So you guys, who are the ESRI and what are they going to do with this information about the young, about us young people? Economic Social Research Institute. So it's the government um, body that does research into people's attitudes, behaviours, various different things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's just kind of, it's, but like, is anybody going to be listening to this information oh they're very credible they're very credible um but, yeah but is your your questions Kira? sort of like what's going to happen from here it's been it's been yeah. obviously it's published so it's publicly available for anyone to do stuff so maybe there'll be more research out of it in universities hopefully the okay. government will sort of incorporate it into their own climate plans and use it to tailor messaging that kind of thing to have more effective action um okay. may, maybe possibly to ramp up ambition i think one thing for me is you know it's really interesting, 15 or 16 to 24 year olds that, you know, I think I was more idealistic at that age than I am now. Uh, and sort of once you, can you maintain 
those can you turn those attitudes into behaviors as you grow up you know as life gets is, in the way yeah, yeah like is society ready for that for all these people that want to use public transport more or for these people that want to change their diet and if it comes to a point where people are like oh i have to choose between getting a job and buying a house or sticking to these values then then what happens you know and that's that's what i think would be interesting if this was a longitudinal study you know and 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 follow this cohort through and and then also survey young people but i think it's yeah, I think it really shows people want to make these changes and are it's an interesting ready point. to enable them. But if you look at 23, 24-year-olds today in Ireland, not many of them have much prospect of buying a house. So maybe... Maybe, maybe they buy tofu them. instead. <laughs> well, but maybe that frees them up to do more about some of their attitudes. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think so because <laughs> I can't afford a house and I'm not being like, oh, I'll just eat less meat now because I've got all this extra money that I'm not spending on my mortgage. That's not what my vibe is, Anna. Okay, you're right, Kira. So Darius, the point you're getting at is like, are these people still going to, you know, want to keep up the right actions in a few years when they hit the reality of life yeah, in Ireland? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, like, th- I think that's where a government should maybe be focusing is like, okay, these people want to do this. How can we, mm. how can we help them to do Facilitate this? Facilitate it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, shall we move on to our not climate story for this week? And after a couple of weeks of me trying to get it on the agenda and being overruled, we're going to talk about the World Cup. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and how is so we're going to talk about Argentina oh, getting oh, through, oh, and oh, you know, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm 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 trying I'm trying not to watch the World Cup, and Argentina are the one thing that if it if it looks like Messi is going to go on and win it, it's going to draw me in. Um, yeah, it's the one. You're trying not to watch it in in protest. <sighs> yeah, I, yeah, like not overly consciously, but it kind of started without me sort of realizing, and then. You know, it, it's very, very different to all the other World Cups. I think in terms of the, in terms of the, the lead up to it, especially, and I don't know. It's yeah, it's kind of kind of passing me by. Not that it's yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just sort of passing me by. I I feel like the World Cup is like the baked in carbon that's already in the atmosphere. It's an enormous lump of bad but then it doesn't stop you enjoying some nice weather as well (laughs) in parallel you know like you know it's my kind of mental thing for warm november well that's old carbon uh so my the best i can do is not turn on the heating and enjoy the nice so it's really shit so i might as well enjoy it yeah yeah Yeah. like it can you can be be pissed off twice or once um and so very very true and then you know good things Against the enormous backdrop of a quarter of a trillion spent on it, the dodgy way in which it was, the way in which it was uh, bought, the way um, the people are being treated um, and how it may actually set back LGBT rights because sometimes a focus, a clumsy focus on an issue is worse than no focus. So that's all baked in. Yeah. It's done. And the telly is still, and it's still on. The games are on now. And good things come out of those games like you know a raft of people in the middle east going to games they never who just wouldn't have been to a world cup before do you know what i mean like there's certain countries that never never supported their team in numbers at world cups because 
culturally the country they would have been visiting is just completely different. You know, like if you're Tunisian or Saudi Arabian or a number of countries, you simply would not have gone to a World Cup. I'm not saying that there's Saudi Arabian plumbers going to this. It's all very wealthy people probably, but there are some cultural links and maybe some lovely moments at the end of the USA-Iran match. So what I'm saying is fundamentally shouldn't have been held in Qatar. FIFA is corrupt as hell, you know, waste huge splurge of money, 6,000 people, you know, lost losing their lives in the building of it. Um, and then at, at, that's at the basic, most important level. But then while it's on, there are some things that happen that are nice. Yeah. And I don't know, we, we do that with a lot of things in our do, lives. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, some good thing might come out of it that Qatari LGBT activists have some new connections. Yeah. Yeah, in other countries that give them some support <laughs> not not campaign like it do you know what i mean like it's such a minuscule such a minuscule thing in comparison to the enormity yeah. of what's going on but uh, i'm just a huge believer in connections that get made in good faith sometimes yeah. outlast the bad situation in which they were forged yeah no that's a that's a good that's a good way to to look at it the um, optimism in this podcast. Yeah, no, it's weird. I know it's, it's too I much. Am I, know, I don't know what's going am on. Am I in the right, right. place? Okay, don't worry, Kira. Here comes the stats. Here comes the stats. <laughs> so, this is a very subtle psyops by the fossil fuel industry with I mean, whose pocket I am. That <laughs> <laughs> explains it. Did you get um, the, yeah. did ten million like Beckham did? You know, it's like um, yeah, far yeah, far more slower uh, trickle than that. <laughs> but so I suppose one one big climate issue with the Qatar World Cup is most of the stadiums were built purposely for the World mm. Cup. So that gives it a way, way, way higher carbon footprint than if it had the been net. held in England where the stadiums were already yeah. built. Um, on top of that then, what are the stadiums even going to be used for afterwards? Like, you know, there's I don't know if there's much legacy planning or anything. Um, yeah. It's predicted to have, the, the whole World Cup's predicted to have a carbon footprint of 3.6 million tonnes. Um, and the BBC article that I'm getting that from from last year said, Montenegro, Iceland and the Democratic Republic of the Congo all produced fewer than 3 million tonnes of CO2 in the year 2018. Mm. And this World Cup's more than that. The DRC has a population of over 90 million. Yeah. Um, so that is that is. So that's that figure relates to the three those countries combined. No, 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 in, individually. Oh, individually. Um, but still, Ireland is yeah. six, 56 million or 56 something. Fifty-six million, yeah. yeah. So it's a I think three three point something million is like the entire sequestration plan for the peatlands. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Re, you know, re re wow. re wetting or something. But like but that. also don't forget why Qatar has the money to and do the, all yeah, that. And not only that, I mean, I watched that FIFA documentary on Netflix. So obviously Qatar have all the money from oil. But the and FIFA gas. documentary on Netflix, like they showed, they signed a gas deal with Thailand shortly before the World Cup vote. They announced, Qatar Airways announced new f flight routes from France to Qatar just before. That it was all these high-level trade deals of fossil fuel-intensive industry actually was what the won Cup. them the World Cup. Yeah. So it's, you know, yeah. it's so, so linked. It's and then just, yeah, and just this week, Germany, it's announced that Germany has agreed a 15-year um, LNG supply from Qatar. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of the connections you were talking about, column. I think unfortunately the connections are more around oil and gas and yeah. 
commerce the than anything. Fossil fuel guiles are now, Kira, are you happy that we've that we've brought yeah, down the level of Yeah, peace has been restored to the podcast. <laughs> These are the people I know. <laughs> um, I'd like to think it's one of those things that people wouldn't let happen again. You know, I think it's mm. peak. <laughs> I think Saudi Arabia will be the next oh, Saudi Arabia in 2030 will host it. I think Ronaldo's purport, purported move, move to oh, yeah, Saudi, for Arabia, Saudi Arabian club for 200 million a year is sort of a I think, stalking I think, horse I for think that. if, you know, I'd like to think there'd be a big grassroots movement um, well, in response to it because that's what I think Jurgen Klopp, who says lots of great things when he was questioned about the World Cup, um, a month or two ago he said, yeah, it shouldn't have been, ha- it shouldn't be happening. And we knew this when they got it. It, when it was announced they got the World Cup whenever it was 10 years ago and that's when the journalist should have been asking questions yeah. he's like yeah it's on me I didn't do enough at the time but you mm. didn't do enough at the time either and all these everyone myself included included who've been talking out about the World Cup if it does happen again people do need to to take yep. a stand you know so that's hopefully that's that's my well the only way to take a stand is if countries refuse to go yeah which, which they yeah. won't absolutely um, and the that liter- and the problem with FIFA is that in any given time, FIFA hierarchy would be sure enough of the votes. Yeah, that's true. Bought votes of up to fifty countries. Um, so it's it's uh, yeah, it's just a, there's a, a small number of very corrupt people uh, allegedly uh, have very huge power in terms of being head of their football federation. Yeah. Not that yeah. we'd ever get into that situation here in Ireland. In Ireland, not where there was any whiff of corruption about. <laughs> Um, heads of Never. That's something thankfully we've managed to avoid uh, <laughs> well listen lads I think there's a match about to start so we should probably move on uh, yeah <laughs> let's 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 do it so just before we go a quick roundup of the stuff that we didn't get to discuss and shout out a few things that people can maybe do from my own point of view in terms of stuff that we didn't get to shout out the last week shortly after we recorded the European Parliament voted to leave the ECT the Energy Charter Treaty good news good news so basically I think there were investor courts around this that fossil companies could sue governments if they lost profits based on policy Uh, the European Parliament have voted to leave that so that's something fossil fuel companies won't be able to do and then linked to that a Dutch court just uh, in the last couple of days dismissed a case by two fossil fuel companies, RWE and Uniper, who were trying to get compensation from the government over choosing to ban coal burning, the you burning of coal. You are joking. And yep. the, the, the court dismissed the companies basically saying, sure, you knew this was coming. The right was on the wall. Um, that's ahead. bad planning on your part. Yep. So that's real. That's really, really good news. Really yep. good precedent. Yeah. Um, Anna, other, any other stories? Uh, uh, well, one that we'll definitely come back to in more detail is the climate action plan. So our updated climate action plan was due next week, but oops, it's delayed again. So it will be looks like the thirteenth of December, but we'll definitely come back to that in more detail. And there's major shifts to be made in almost every sector if we're to hit the sectoral targets in that plan. So will be interesting to see. Yeah, great. Um, and then from me, I suppose, in terms of what people can do, I really, really recommend this week's episode of Hot Mess by Philip Azure Hayes. Why are we still flying? Uh, really interesting insight. Like we were saying about young people not knowing about that being a high impact activity, really interesting in, insight into, yeah, it's into excellent. the aviation industry. And in terms of what people can do, talking about biodiversity, the Birdwatch Ireland are 
Irish Garden Bird Survey starts this week. So that's where you go and look at birds in your garden all through the winter and you take a little note of what you can see and send it on. It's sort of citizen science at its best. The information that Birdwatch Ireland get is... I'll be sending them sparrows. I'll tell them it's sparrows. Everything is a sparrow. (laughs) But but it's a great, it's it's a really really great initiative that's really valuable to them and it's a lovely thing to be able to to be able to do um and also a shout out to a, an event that the the details haven't the exact location hasn't been finalized but there's going to be climate community caroling uh somewhere on the streets of dublin on the 15th of december so it's organized by the chtc project and full circle change and it's for the climate community to come together in song and celebration of hope for a better future um which just sounds lovely and wholesome. Um, yeah. Cullen, before you go, uh, do you want to tell us a little bit, tell our listeners a little bit about the book and maybe any shows, if you've anything coming up? Uh, well, shows coming up over this side of Christmas. I'll be, I'm will be. i doing stuff, actually, hopefully in DCU in the new year. Um, thanks for the connect. And I will be, uh, in the new year, doing a few more shows. I need to put together a few dates for it at the moment. It's all... Uh, kind of Christmas parties and stuff that I'm doing uh, to keep the fires burning. No, obviously not the fires burning, the the panels, solar panels charged. Um, but yeah, the, the book is my kind of culmination of, and it's not even a culmination, it's an update on where on where I'm at as being an Egypt who suffers from a little knowledge is a bad, is a dangerous thing kind of syndrome where you hear about lots of things threatening to overwhelm the brain with how to be an individual in a large system and how to do a bit and care a bit and give a shit really um and how to and do that hopefully by being funny and like everything like any comedy or humor about a serious thing it's not about the serious it's not trivializing the seriousness of any situation it's more our there's humor to be had in our reactions to it and identifying with others yeah. who feel the same oh I tried that and it was it didn't work, so I'm never going to do anything again, as opposed to, I tried that, I learned this, and I'll do it slightly different. Not tomorrow, I'm going to take a break, but the day after. You know, that kind of... Yeah. Because I think we just need everybody feeling empowered and confident to try something. I think confidence is a huge part of taking part in any issue, regardless of what side you're on. Like, you never see the fossil fuel industry suffering from an, a, a... lack of confidence. A lack of confidence. No in their message whereas yeah. that be, be devils the uh, the side of people who want to you know reduce consumption or reduce yeah, fossil yeah. fuel like we're just a lack of confidence in not having the right answer therefore we'll i guess we'll just leave it or wait for somebody else so this is deliberately a book by somebody who doesn't know much and it's about the not knowing much but not letting that stop me while also not being 40 something man yeah, decides to write about a topic he knows nothing about. Uh, well, <laughs> that yeah. level of confidence, thankfully, is in built into my genes. Um, so, but you know, yeah. you every, as I say, there's room for everybody. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, this. yeah, it's a lovely. It's, it's a, I, I thought it was a great, a great read. Um, I think everyone will find something or some part of it they can identify with in there. And as a, the big thing I took away from it was your kind of enjoyment of the journey and i think that's Mm. a message that can really get lost and is really important that keeps people going with the activism um so yeah no i highly recommend um 
Okay, that is it for this week. Um, Colm, thanks a million for joining us. It's been absolutely great uh, to chat to you this week. My pleasure. And Kira and Anna, it's been lovely to chat to you too. Thanks, everyone. Um, it's been lovely chatting with Anna. She's had so much optimism today. <laughs> <laughs> She's been reading some sort of book. I'm not sure what it is. <laughs> um, it's okay. It won't last, Kira. It won't last. <laughs> Uh, that is it for this week um, if you do like the podcast make sure to share it with a friend review and subscribe wherever you like you can find us on Twitter and Mastodon at the Climate Alarm and on Instagram and Facebook at Climate Alarm Clock if you want to send us an email it's climatealarmclock at gmail.com and OnlyFans keep an eye out for 2023 <laughs> Tara's going to share what he sees on his bird watching <laughs> That's it for this week. (laughs) Goodbye. Bye. Bye.